0: Well, let's open our Bible to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. When he had set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that do mourn, when they mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Then blessed are they which are persecuted. And the reason they are persecuted, it is for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and their righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely, For my name's sake, it's because they hate him. And in these things, we see the characteristics of God's children or the attitude of God's people. And what is the attitude when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake? He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Verse 13, this will be the verse we'll be looking at today primarily. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted. It is sent forth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Danny, would you pray for us? I have me, Father in the midst, Lord, we pray that we would be attentive this morning, Lord, our minds not one, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, and Lord, be with Brother Mike, Lord, and again, we thank you for this opportunity, it's in Christ's name that we pray, Amen. 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 You are the salt of the earth. God's people, as we've saw in the last couple of weeks, they are, the, they are blessed. We are truly blessed. In Ephesians, it says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. But the world would look at a man that was persecuted and reviled and hated. They wouldn't say he was a blessed man. They would look at him and say, well, he's cursed. But that's not how the Lord sees it. He said, blessed are those. And his people have always been persecuted. Their attitude is different from this world. We don't set our affections on things of this earth, but on things above. It's like Danny prayed. We deal with, have to deal with distractions and all those things, but our, our attitude that God gives us is a desire to worship and honor him. And if we have to suffer for his name's sake, so be it. Uh, there in the book of Acts when uh, James and John, I mean Peter and John, went into the temple and they were preaching the gospel, they came and they said, we don't want you preaching anymore in that name. And it says in Acts 5.41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. In this world you shall have tribulations, but be a good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. You don't want to have that attitude. A lot of times when things come and we're nobody likes to be persecuted. Nobody likes to be cast out. Nobody likes to be despised. I mean, that's hard to the flesh. But we do it for his glory. That's when we have the I want to have the right attitude to serve him. Yeah, our Lord suffered. And we'll suffer. We'll suffer. Now we know we live in a day that laws constrain men. We don't suffer as like others do, but we still suffer, maybe in just different ways. But God's people are here, they're here for a purpose, they're here for a reason. When the Lord saved someone, if he had intended to, he could have taken them right home to glory at that moment, but he didn't. He left us here for a reason, we're here for a purpose. He said, as we're going to look at today, he said, you are, ye are the salt of the earth. That's what I want us to consider. I know men have coined the saying that, you know, somebody, I guess, has good qualities and they may be, there's people that are lost that are meek and kind and they're generous and, and then people look at them, oh, they're just the salt of the earth. Now, that, that's not what he's talking about. It, it's not something that, that we produce. It's what he's done because by nature, we're not like salt. From the top of our head to the sole of our foot, there's no soundness in us. We're full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's just who we are. But he's made us to be by his grace. He said, you are those that are persecuted, those that mourn over their sin. They are the salt of the earth. You know, when when things happen, you may not realize it, but the world watches you. They watch your response. They They watch your attitude. How's this man going to respond? Well, I know there's, I can't put my finger on it, but I know there's something different about this man. What is it that makes him different? Who makes us to differ? It's the grace of God that makes the difference. But they watch. How does he respond when everything seems to go bad? How, look at Job's friends. Look how it went with Job. How did he respond? The Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I know only in the book he cursed the day he was born, but there he said the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. How are we, the children of God, the salt of the earth? It's not what the world says. Like I said, they're the salt of the earth. By nature, like I said, we're not good. And here's the scripture, Isaiah chapter 1, if you want to turn, verses 4 through 6. This is the scripture we probably quote a lot. And he's describing us. Isaiah 1, verse 4. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They are, they are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any anymore? Why should I correct you anymore? Why should I punish you anymore? Why should I send you any more warnings? You'll just revolt more and more. It won't change it. The whole head is sick. You know, it's amazing. It starts with the head. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. The will, the emotions, the desires are faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but its wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither mollified, With None of the bruises, none of the putrefying sores, they've not been clothed, they've not had any salt on them to heal the wounds. It's just vile. And he says, why should I stricken you anymore? They'll just revolt more and more. Some things about salt, it helps the taste of food. It purifies, like I just mentioned, putting salt on a wound. Now, it's going to burn like crazy, but it's what purifies it. It pulls the moisture out of it so it can heal, and it holds back corruption, and it melts ice. God's people, as we see here in salt, have an effect upon the world. Like I said, why did he leave us here? And it does. His people, he places them where he places them, and they do have an effect on this world. Lord willing, next week, we'll look at light. Light pushes back darkness. But if you take away salt, if you took away all of God's salt out of this world, took all of his people out, they would be nothing left but corruption. And the only reason it's not as bad as it could be because God places his people in certain areas, and they do hold back that corruption. That's why he placed us here. Did you know every sacrifice in the Old Testament had to be salted or savored with salt? If you want to turn to Leviticus 2.13, What I read, they was even what they called a salt room inside the tabernacle because they used so much salt. I read something. Uh, that's what I already printed in my notes. It said, in some places, a bag of salt among barbarian tribes was worth more than a man. The Jews really prized salt because they had the, you imagine if you have no salt for the sacrifice. Well, you can't offer a sacrifice. Without the salt on the sacrifice, you can't worship. It's rejected. It says, Leviticus 2.13, And every, every oblation of thy meat offering, offering shalt thou season with salt. It gives it, it's what God desires. It's what, without it, it has no savor. It has no taste. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be taken from thy meat offerings. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So you see what the salt represents. The salt represents Christ. And the reason we are the salt of the earth is because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's like trying to worship or bring an offering without Christ, it's rejected. You may bring the right prescribed offering, bring it in the right way, but if it's not salted with salt, it was not accepted, and you would not be received. Men want to worship God, they try to, without Christ, and it's rejected. You know what? It just tastes bad. It has no flavor. The gospel, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Without the salt of the covenant, God's everlasting covenant between Christ and his people, there is no receiving of the sacrifice. And they knew it. What if salt runs out? You know, one thing that this world has a lot of, we'll probably never use up, is salt. (laughs) You know, we don't take, you don't take, you don't think a lot of it. It sits on your table and you don't really even notice it till you need it. But when you need it, and it's not there, you sure miss it. You know, sometimes you sit down to eat, and Sandy says, I forgot to put some salt on the vegetable. I said, yeah, I know. (laughs) We taste it. And you go, how do we taste it? Well, Well, you can sure make, you know when it's not there. It's like trying to preach the gospel or just saying things without Christ. You go, something's missing. I can't put my finger on it, but something's missing. And the thing that's missing is the salt from the sacrifice. Without Christ, nothing is accepted. Nothing. It'd be like Cain trying to bring the best he's got, it ain't accepted. Hey, boy, if, they, if, they, if he is prescribed and he may have been, he brought a sacrifice and it can't be received without salt, he would have bought salt and put on it because God prescribed it. The Lord would say, you don't have to do that. You, you, it's just salt. Just leave the salt out. No one will know. Those who have never tasted the gospel don't know the difference. But God's people know the difference because you have an unction from the Holy One. All modes of worship fabricated by men, and that's all it is. It's just something fabricated by men. It's all rejected. If you tell men they're rejected, they don't much like that. And that's when the persecution comes because they hate Christ. It's like I said, eating, it's like eating food without salt. Turn to Numbers chapter 18, verse 19. Numbers 18, verse 19, "...and all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offered unto the Lord have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, for a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever." We know the everlasting covenant, and Lord willing, we'll try to just deal with that in the next message. But it is an everlasting covenant. This is something that God has established forever. It's the covenant between God the Father and God the Son and and God and his people. He said, The covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and thy seed with thee. God accepts Christ. It's the only sacrifice he will accept, the only one he will receive. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and it's unchanging. There's examples in the Old Testament of people who tried to approach God on their own merit. Aaron's sons were killed before, before the Lord. They offered what? Strange fire. Strange fire. Some things about food, is I mean, about salt, as I've already mentioned, It's adds taste. Salt has, the scripture says it's lost its savor. Salt has savor. We can't explain it. We just we just know it when we taste it. Something without salt, it's just like eating potato chips. I don't know why we love salt so much. I mean, I love them. I, I, you know it's like a Lay's commercial. You can't eat just one, and that's about right. You sit out and it's just like you can't get enough of it. Then you get done, you go, I want another bag. <laughs> Then you gotta have something to drink because it's so salty. But we and it's like beef jerky or something like that. Can you imagine trying to eat jerky without salt? Yeah. But that's it it gives it taste. It makes something that is bitter tasteful. You know, we go through things, it's just like I mentioned Job. We go through things that are bitter. It's bitter but when the salt of god's grace is added it takes away the bitterness without it takes away the bitterness turn to second kings chapter 2 and i'll show you this second kings chapter 2 verse 19 And the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant, as, as my Lord liveth. It's a pleasant city, but the water is not. And the ground barren, and the reason the ground was barren was because the water was bad. And Elisha said, Bring me a new cruise and put salt therein, and he, they brought it to him, this cruise, a new cruise with salt in it. What's he going to do with this salt? And he went forth into the spring of the waters. He went to the heart of the problem. He went to the head of the spring uh, at Sandy's father's. He has. It's kindly ironic how he's done this. He went way back up on top of the mountain, and he run him a pretty good-sized water hose, a piece of plastic pipe, and he put it in a spring up there at the head, where it, where it starts. It, you probably can't even hardly see it. It's that small, but it runs down that pipe gravity. And he's got a little, it's, it's a homemade water fountain. It has a little piece of pipe about the size of your little thing. And that water is just always spurting. You imagine if you went to, the little kids come, they drank out of that water. I mean, they don't care what's in it, it doesn't matter. But if that water was bad, he would have to go up to the head of the water, the spring. This is what Elisha did, and he poured that salt upon that water, and it healed those waters. And when it healed the water, it healed the land. Christ takes the water, the salt of his grace, and the salt of Christ, and that's what heals it. It's the same water. It's like where the water was Myra. Remember, they were bitter, and he threw a stick in, or a, which was a picture of Christ, and Elisha took that salt it out, and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. You know what? Now you can drink the water. It, and the only thing, what was something else? He didn't go up there and wave his hand over it. He took salt, and he said, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren Now, uh, you know what happens if you just throw salt on the ground? There ain't much going to grow. That salt will kill that grass. We have, just like down here in the church, we have that water purifier. You know what goes in that water purifier to purify that water? Salt. That's why there's a 50-pound bag of salt sitting down there getting ready to be poured in because it filters that water. Because you know why? This water has so much calcium in it. We had it tested at the house. You, you really don't want to drink it without it being filtered, even filtered with a softener and a filter on it. And the Lord takes his salt of his grace, and he heals the water. And now the bland that was barren brings forth life. So the water was healed unto this day. One time was sufficient. When Christ died, once was enough. It was sufficient. And you know what he does? You know what Christ does with the salt of his grace? He pours it on your heart. <laughs> that's the issue. That's, that's, from the heart proceed evil thoughts and all these things, and he said it's been cleansed. Someone said, because we live in this world and we're the salt of the earth, we should make it a better place than when we found it. Elisha comes, and we don't know how many years that water was bad. They go, what's he going to do? How's he going to heal it? They probably had tried a lot of different things. He took what the Lord had gave him and prescribed, and it healed him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you salt food, you don't take just one grain. He said, "Ye." Are the salt of the earth. Like Danny prayed, he said, For two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst thereof. Job said, Job 6, verse 6 Can that which is unsavory, that which is without savor, that which out is without taste, be eaten without salt? Was there any taste in the white of an egg? Like I said, when we have to suffer like Job, he said, "Can that which is unsavory? I can. Can I endure this without salt? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Yeah, you can eat it, but you can imagine how it would taste—bland. And apart from grace, it just tastes." Everything tastes unsavory. Everything. Turn to the second, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to see this. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech and I know that can represent your speech or it can also represent your conversation, your manner of living I mean your manner of living. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Most of you all have read Joe the book of Job. Was Job's friends, was their speech seasoned with grace or seasoned with salt? No, all they wanted to do was criticize. Him. They said, it's because you, you've you sinned, Job. Well, I know that. We've all sinned. I mean, that's the root of all problems is sin. But they saying, oh, there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're getting what you deserve, Job. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. It's, it'd be like... It'd be like me trying to preach the gospel to you. What I say could be exactly right and true, but if there's no love there, where's the grace at? Where's the salt at? We preach Christ and him crucified. We're we're all sinners. We all need God in his grace and his salt, but let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Someone called me the other day or sent me a thing, and they, they was asking me, there was someone that they knew that they were lost, and, uh, but they'd had a relationship. Well, you know, they could talk and be friends, and they asked them a question, and they wanted to know how to answer them because they knew when you answer them, more than likely they're going to be offended. And it's not that they don't want to offend them, but they, want to, they don't want to just drive them away. You know, how, do, how would, would we speak? He said that we may know how we ought to answer every man. If a man asks you, why, why do you have hope? Why do you go down there to that church? Why do you go hear that gospel? I want to know how I ought to answer. And there's a way to answer them. There's an attitude in answering them. That we ought to know how we ought to answer every man. Grace, grace, speaking words of grace and, and kindness Spurgeon said it'd be like if you was a blind man in a ditch and couldn't get out always groping around in the ditch and somebody pulled you out and give you sight, would you go back to those same men, other men that were in the same ditch you were at and start beating them over the head and say, why don't you get out of that ditch? How did you get out of the ditch? And we wouldn't be admonished. He's writing to believers in the book of Colossians. Let your speech... Be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that it ought to answer how, that you know He ought to answer every man. It has the seasoning. We need seasoning to our words to our words. Secondly, sake, salt penetrates. Mark nine verse 50 says, "Salt is good." But if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Have salt in yourselves, in yourselves, and have peace with God. For salt to have an effect, it has to come in contact with, with something. When Elisha poured that salt on that water, it had to come in contact, it had to penetrate it. I know Jeff likes to cook pork. And he rubs, probably puts some salt on it and some seasonings, and, but he rubs it on there. It ain't that he just goes over and, and waves it over it, holding it in, a, in a, a bowl or something and says, I hope it helps it. No, he has to take it out, and he has to put his hand on it. And, you know, it's amazing. That's how the Lord does. He takes it and he rubs it, and he keeps rubbing it and rubbing it. Till that meat absorbs that salt, and it has, it has to penetrate it. You know, what we want to do is, well, here's what religion does. They want to go live in a monastery somewhere and never touch the world. And they, and they think, oh, we don't, we, want, we don't want to be affected by them. It's the salt that penetrates the meat and protects the meat from spoiling. The salt, you know what it does? It will bite. It has a biting effect to it. It bites men's conscience. There in Acts 2 37, when Peter preached, and you imagine, you know what he's doing? He's casting salt. This is a corrupt generation. Wicked, vile. They just killed the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, You're a bunch of murderers. And it says, When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, What shall we do? That salt. He couldn't see it. It works silently, but it works irresistibly. You are the salt of the earth. And he placed Peter right there that day. And as he preached the gospel of God's grace, how he ought to answer every man. They said, what must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He told them what they needed to hear. So it penetrates, and like the gospel, nobody can stop it from working. No one. They would have loved to have hindered it. They would have loved to have stopped it, but you can't. It works. It penetrates. It's the only thing that will. And then salt preserves. You know why you're kept? Why don't, you know, we still, we still have corruption. We still have an old nature. But that salt in us is what prevents us from being as bad as we could be. It preserves us. One day he's going to present us faultless, faultless in his sight. He his salt must penetrate when it penetrates into the meat, the meat will be preserved. You've probably heard me say this. Some of you may not know this, but and I looked it up online. I was just checking, and they called it an Appalachian uh, custom. They, what they called hog killing. Now, what that was when I was growing up, everybody raised a hog. Most people that we were around, we were just country. The world would call we just common people. You know, whatever you had to eat, you, you growed it. You growed your own vegetables. Most people had a cow. If they didn't, they would know someone that did. You could get your milk and your butter and your cheese and all those things. But everybody growed them hog. And between usually between Thanksgiving and Christmas was hog killing time. And everybody in the community would come together and they'd kill that hog. And they were going to get this. This, this, is, we got, this meat, this got, we've got to feed on this all winter. How are we going to keep it? We don't have no refrigerator. We don't have no freezers. This is before those things. How are we we going to keep this meat? If we just kill this meat and you just put it somewhere, it ain't going to last probably two or three days, and it's so bad you can't eat it. You take it and you use everything, every part of that hog except for the squeal. From the head to the toes to the feet, I mean, but what, some of the best part is the ham and the, and the tenderloin. And what do you do? We had a dark place in our building. It was called a ham house. It's dark. You would take the meat. You go in there and put a layer of salt down, and you lay the meat down. And you cover it just like when Jeff would seize the pork. Sometimes we would use brown sugar, black pepper, and salt, and you rub that on that meat. You get put as much as it'll take, and you go on a few days and flip it over. And you keep rubbing and rubbing, and I don't know how long it take. It might take two or three weeks, but when it dries that meat out, you can pick it up, put it in a sack. I've seen Daddy take it upstairs in the attic and just hang it up so the mice or nothing couldn't get to it. And, man, it, and it had to be a special occasion for you to have ham. And you go cut a piece of that ham off, and you told about something good. Now, sometimes you might have to wash some of the salt off because it's pretty salty. But I'd like to bring you all some, some good country ham sometime. There's a, a ham place right there above where I used to own my business, and I used to buy it for people for Christmas. Oh, it's so good. But how is it preserved? With salt. Without salt, it would not be preserved. And is salt preserved that meat? Children of God, who are the salt of the earth, Holds back the corruption of this world. It preserves it. You want an example? Lot. He was a sinful man. He made a lot of mistakes, but let me tell you this he was still a child of God. Nothing he did, nothing he ever thought, ever changed his relationship with God. He was the soul of the earth. God said, I cannot destroy that city as long as Lot's there. I mean, when Abraham prayed, he said, if I can find 10 people, 10, I won't destroy the city for 10 people. You think about this country. I wonder how many of God's people are in this country. That's probably the only thing preserving it because when he took Lot out, that angel said, I can't do anything as long as you're here. But when they took Lot out, as it. And I don't know all the significance here, but there's something here, and it's worth thinking about. When Lot got into the city of Zor, not when his wife, but when Lot got into the city of Zor, God rained fire and brimstone on that city. And what happened to Lot's wife? She was turned into a pillar of salt. A salt. We are kept by the power of God. Lot even lingered. But you imagine, when God took his salt out of Sodom, that's it. And one day, God's going to gather all his elect who are the salt of the earth. And when he gathers them out, There's nothing left. That's sobering. That's sobering. You think that, you know, think about this. God put you exactly where you are for a reason. He placed you there for a purpose. Where you work is no accident. Who you know is no accident. Where you live, none of those things are an accident. God put you there. God put his people there for a reason. So how does salt preserve this world? Let me read to you there again in, in Colossians 4. Let me begin back in verse 3. Paul is saying, Wherefore, praying also for us that God would open unto us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which I also am in bonds, that, I may, that it may be manifest as I ought to speak, He said, I I don't know what I ought to say. May God give me a word of utterance to speak. Walk Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your speech or your conversation be seasoned with salt. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 12. Because he speaks also, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salt? He said it sends forth good for nothing to be cast out on the ground. If salt has lost its saltness, you cannot, if salt is lost its saltness, you can't add salt. It's lost its savor. It's lost, what he's saying is, if you, salt loses its effect, what good is it? Now, here's the sobering, something very sobering. I don't want to lose my effect with people. You know what I'm saying? Because here in First Peter 2, verse 12, Have your conversation or your manner of living honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil of you, they may call you an evildoer, they may persecute you, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, they shall see, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now verse 1 of chapter 3. He's you imagine a woman? God has saved her. God has given her grace. And now they're salt in that house. Uh, I know of someone, they, they got married, and one, one of the, the girls, she thought she was a believer, and, and then she come to find out, the Lord opened her eyes, but he set her free, and now she's, she's married to a man who's an unbeliever. He has no desire to go to church with her, has no desire to worship God, How is she going to win that man? By always going in there, why don't you just get ready and go to church with me? Why don't you just quit that drinking and come away? The kids want you to come. He answers that question here. Likewise, your wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Then if any obey not the word, if any of your husbands are not believers, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. They'll be won by how that woman acts in front of that man. It says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, that's the salt, which is in the sight of God of great price. You know what she does? She loves that man. And she'll win him by her love for him, by the conversation she has before him. She said, well, me and the kids are going to get up and go to church. If you want to go with us, she can. And they get up and go. That's what she does. She's made up her mind and leave it in the Lord's hands. But you know, as long, as you imagine what, if God took her out of that house, there's no salt, no salt. But maybe through that, like here, he says, you've been in subjection. You mean she's supposed to be in subjection to that man, and he's an unbeliever? Well, that's what he says. He said, Abra- Sarah called Abraham Lord. Something else, salt can melt ice. Salt can melt a heart of stone. Salt can measure a frozen heart. If salt has lost its savor, as I've already mentioned, Lot, it's hard to imagine Lot living in Sodom. He said he vexed his righteous soul. And we look around in this world, and it, if we didn't have each other, it vex our righteous soul. But when the angel told Lot, he said, do you have any more family in this place? It was Lot and his wife and his two daughters. He said, you better tell them to get out of this place. Lot goes to his sons-in-laws who are married to his daughters, and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, get up out of this place, for the Lord's going to destroy this place. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons, in-laws, they said, you think we're going to listen to what you said? So it, there you said he lost his influence with his sons. They didn't believe him. You lose your influence. They, they, don't, they don't care what you say, what you say to them, how you say it. In closing, I want, us to, I want you to turn to this. It's Titus chapter 2. I want to read all these 15 verses. I know it's several verses, but I want to point out several things. Titus 2, verse 1. But speak thou the the things which become sound doctrine. Now notice the people that he speaks to here. Titus 2, verse 1. That the aged men, those who have been maybe converted for some time, those who've walked with the Lord for some time, that the aged men be sober, Grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in charity, in patience. And in verse 3, the aged women, likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And what is the responsibility of the, of the aged women? That they may, what's the first thing he mentions? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Oh, the salt that will preserve that family. The aged women are to teach the young ones to do what? Love your husbands, love your children. Boy, the world could do to hear that, couldn't they? To be discreet. He just keeps listening. So, To be discreet. Chase keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. So he talks to the aged men, the aged women. Now he deals with the young men. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part, those that are unbelievers may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say unto you, they looking for something to say. They're just looking for something, some, some evil way. Exhort servants. Now we're all servants. What about if you work for a, a, someone that's just a jerk? How are you supposed to respond that way? That's hard. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, not to please, but and to please them well in all things. Not answering again, not talking back not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity. Now, you ought to underline this next statement, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. God help us to do that. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, we know that's not every man that ever lived, but different classes of men he says, pray for kings and those which are in authority. For the grace God hath that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. You are the salt of the earth. You are a peculiar people. zeus of good works. These things speak and exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Ye are the salt of the earth. Lord willing, we'll look next week that you are the light of the world.